Thanks, team, again for those good songs this morning and for all our hearts closer to the Lord. The centrality of the cross is a message we, with God's help, want to share this morning. Let's turn together to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll be reading a portion of scripture there. Starting to read it, verse 13. I believe it's 21, 21 to 25. <clears throat> I wonder if it's a look right at the second Peter. First Peter, chapter 2. Yes. Right. Picking up at verse 21. For to those, or for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mind, who, when he was reviled, did not revile and return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word for us again. And I'm sure that many of us have heard many sermons in our lifetime on the cross. But Lord, I believe today you want to minister to our hearts. I pray the Holy Spirit would show us new things in your to realize, Lord, the importance of the cross in our lives, in our society, in our world. The centrality of the cross, it's so, so very important. So I pray, Lord, today your blessings on this group of saints as we've gathered together to worship. Oh, Lord, may our hearts be open to your word, may we close now out our minds of those distractions, things that happened last week or what we're looking, possibly getting involved in this week. Let's just lay that all aside and center now our attention on you and your word. In your precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> the centrality of the cross. The cross of Christ shows us the redemptive purpose for both time and eternity. It's for this very reason that the cross is central in God's word and, yes, in God's world. All throughout the scriptures we find the message of the cross. You can see it both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament scriptures. It's central to the law. It's in the Psalms. It's the prophets, the Gospels, the Acts, the Epistles, and even to the very last book of Revelation. So to remove this message of the cross would make the Bible meaningless. It would just be another book. But the cross is central to God's word. It was placed on a hill called Calvary, the land of Palestine. I had the privilege the other year to stand there and gaze at that hillside. You could see the, the skull, the rock formation 
<clears throat> there's where they believe that the cross is worth living. And to realize, as many, many years ago, what took place in that very spot. It was very stirring and humbling. The cross is central in history because the death of Jesus divides human history, it divides individuals, it divides families. You either believe or you do not believe. It's a converging point of two eternities. Two eternities. So it's important to the relationship against government and people's husbands, wives, and families. I think as families, we need to talk about it to our children, the importance of the cross. It's obvious that without one submitting to the cross of Christ, there's no hope or peace or, or harmony or goodwill. And so as we get into the message this morning, I hope that all of us can perhaps better understand and become clearer to us. So according to Peter, the cross of God's is God's standard for the human race. In verse 21, he says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. A part of being a Christian is that privilege of serving God, and serving him faithfully. When we encounter those times of undeserved judgment, he is our example. We look closely at him, what he experienced. And we want to follow Jesus. Observing how Jesus handled that unjust punishment. I think it gives us an insight personally how we can endure trials of life that certainly come along. And Peter's remembering the life of Jesus lived even unto his death there on the cross. He shows forth to us all a standard of suffering and how he endured all the opposition, actually all through his three years of ministry. There were those that taunted him. There were those that argued with him and, and caused problems. And so this morning, let's consider then together that as our suffering Savior, it was one of absolute sinlessness. Jesus was pure through and through. Verse 22 says, Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found, in his mouth. Now, Peter is actually quoting there from Isaiah 53, and I think he, he's choosing his words very carefully. And as we study the scriptures, we can see how Peter himself followed the life and, and the death of the Lord Jesus. And so Peter can certainly give us a review uh, of this, as many could, few could. He never saw Jesus fall or fail those three years. It was with Jesus, and what he saw was a Jesus full of love and compassion, wanting to reach out and to heal those that were hurting. Passion for the lost, and for those that are downtrodden and rejected by society. Jesus was totally innocent of any error or deceit, although he was accused of a lot. Calling him a wine-bibber, that he associated with those that were the drunkards, associated with women of ill report, yet it was all because Jesus knew they had a soul that he would be dying for. And so in simple human terms, we know that Jesus didn't deserve to die. He did good. 
while he was here on earth. And he went to the cross, I think we can say simply, as an innocent lamb, without blemish or spot. And he suffered in our place. We are the guilty ones. And Jesus took our place. God knew that only a sinless Savior could atone for sinful mankind. None of us could ever begin to pay the price that sin required. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus died for you? Praise the Lord, I am. Yes, the standard is suffering. He was a suffering Savior and was absolutely in submission, giving himself. Verse 23 says, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. The whole episode emphasis of that verse is the surprising fact that Jesus was quiet and silent when he was getting this undeserved punishment. Let me ask you a question. And I ask myself, am I quiet and silent when I'm blamed for something I know isn't enough? I'm sure you've been found yourself in that situation. But Jesus never opened his mouth against those that were unfairly treating him. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 53, verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. We can't study this account today without being amazed, totally amazed at that submissiveness. Because we live in a world that's calling for their rights, they demand what is theirs. Equal rights. No sacrifice, but more and more self-indulgence in the sinful lifestyles. Oh, how we need to be praying for America, for revival, for spiritual freedom and healing. Only as, as mankind measures themselves against God's standard do we realize our desperate need, need for salvation. Verse 23 shows us again that Christ was perfect in everything he did, even when he was wrongly accused and condemned by the world. His thoughts, his attitudes were perfect all through his suffering. Moving forward then, we see the cross is God's standard for everyone. There's no other way to find salvation except for Christ's sacrifice. This is why the cross is so critical and so central for our redemption. So let's look carefully now that salvation means, first of all, deliverance from the penalty of sin. Look at verse 24. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by those stripes you were healed. The, the, the Greek wording here is emphasizing that Jesus' personal involvement is in the act of paying that steep price for our sins. Peter was an eyewitness of this awful event in history. He clearly points out the one who, who died and put away sin was none other than Christ himself. No doubt, no doubt. He was there and saw it. 
clearly says it was our sins that carried him that day to the cross. And he could do no less than to take our penalty. No one else on earth has ever done or achieved what Jesus accomplished. I've read stories of, of people from one reason or another wanted to be put on a cross and crucified, thinking that would pay for the sins of maybe their village. But that's all futile. Jesus paid that once and for all. Praise the Lord. It's done. It's, it's accomplished. And so whatever theories you may hear on the atonement, one thing is certainly inescapable, that he died that day for you and me. There's deliverance from the power of sin. There in the latter part, or the middle part of verse 24, it says that, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. And you can't read that verse without reaching the conclusion that, that the purpose of Christ's passion was not only to deliver us from the penalty of sin, but also the power of sin. The whole description there in verse 24 is without a doubt that he did it so that we could serve him and live pleasing in his sight. I immediately think of a believer walking with God daily. That's so important to living a life of victory rather than one of defeat. I did some research and I ran across this by Charles Stanley that I wholly and heartily agree with and I'm going to read through this. It's just excellent material. It's entitled, What Does It Mean to Walk in the Spirit? The answer, believers have the indwelling Spirit of Christ, the Comforter, who proceeds from the Father. The Holy Spirit assists believers in prayer. He's interceding for God's people in accordance to the will of God. He also leads the believers into righteousness and produces his fruit in those yielded to him. Believers are to submit to the will of God and to walk in the Spirit. And so the Christian life is a journey we're on, and we're to walk it. We're to make consistent forward progress. The biblical norm for all believers is that they walk in the Spirit. And there's a lot of scriptures listed, and I'm not taking time to read those. But in other words, the Spirit gives us life in the new birth, and we must continue to live day by day in the Spirit. And so to walk in the Spirit means to, that we yield to His control. We follow His lead. We allow Him to exert His influence over us. To walk in the Spirit is the opposite of resisting Him or grieving Him. Galatians 5 examples of the work of the Holy Spirit of the believer, the context of the freedom from the law of Moses. Those who walk in the Spirit eagerly await by the faith of the righteousness for which they hope, and are freed from the law. Also, those who walk in the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh, it's our fallen nature under the power of sin. It's in direct conflict with the Spirit. When the flesh is in charge, the results are obvious. But when the Spirit is in control, He produces godly qualities within us apart from the law. Believers have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and we walk in the Spirit. And then he lists those fruit of the Spirit. Those who walk in the Spirit are united with them. We're bearers of the fruit that is produced. Thus, we walk in the Spirit. We walk in love. 
Those that live in love for God and for their fellow men. Those that walk in the Spirit walk in joy. They exhibit gladness in what God has done and is doing and will do. You see that progression? His continued work in our hearts. Those are my words, by the way. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in peace. They live worry-free. They refuse anxiety. It's not always easy, is it? I'm guilty. Anxiety can come in sometimes, and we have to say, oh, Lord, help me with this. And those that walk in the Spirit walk in patience. They're known for having a long fuse and do not lose their temper. But we all do from time to time, don't we? God help us. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in kindness. They show tender concern for the needs of others. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in goodness. Their actions reflect virtue and holiness. Praise the Lord for that. Those that walk in the Spirit walk in goodness. I just said that. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in faithfulness. They're steadfast in their trust of God and His Word. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in gentleness. Their lives are characterized by humility, grace, and thankfulness to God. Those who walk in the Spirit walk in self-control. They display moderation, constraint, and the ability to say no to the flesh. Those who walk in the Spirit rely on the Holy Spirit to guide them in their thought, word, and deed. They show forth daily, moment by moment, holiness, just as Jesus did. And full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. To walk in the Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit. And so resolve in the Spirit's feelings of thankfulness, singing, joy. Those who walk in the Spirit follow the Spirit's lead. They let the Word of Christ dwell in them richly. And the Spirit uses the Word of God for teaching, for rebuke, for correcting, and training in righteousness. Their whole way of life is lived according to the rule of the Gospel as the Spirit moves them toward obedience. When we walk in the Spirit, we find that the sinful appetites of the flesh have no more dominion over us. I believe Charles Stanley had it right there. I know that was a little blank and forgive me, but what can I cut out? It was so good. Walking in the Spirit. This is, friends, what we talk about, the life of holiness that we're to live that's pleasing to the Lord. And moving on, yes, it's a deliverance from the poison of sin. It says, by whose stripes we are healed. I'm sure that Peter could not forget the scourging that Jesus took that day from that Roman soldier. His body was lacerated. We know the whip often had little pieces of metal or, or bone at the end, and how that would just tear the flesh. It's hard for us to even imagine. How terrible that was. Certainly an instrument of torture. The only antidote for sin was the shed blood of Jesus. Because his life laid down in death and then taken up in resurrection, cleanses, purifies, and heals as we call on his name. The cross is God's completeness and satisfaction for the world. 
Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So God knew that we needed a shepherd. We needed a savior. And he cares so much about us. He wants to provide that. And also the blessings of life along the way. A shepherd restores our souls. Perhaps Peter was thinking about Psalm 23. David wrote there talking about Jesus being our shepherd. And out there in the sheep on the hillside, how they needed guiding and protecting. You know, sheep have a tendency to wander. I don't know if any of you have ever raised sheep or not. They need a shepherd, definitely. They need a guiding hand of a kind shepherd, as do we all at times. I think of Psalm 121, verse 8, where the psalmist says, The Lord will keep us in our going out and our coming in from this time and forever. So he gives us that peace that passes all understanding. He's with us. He gives us a joy that's full of glory, a hope that is steadfast, and a love which is strong until death takes us home someday. I say Amen. St. Augustine once wrote this, Our souls were made for God, and we're restless until we find rest in Him. Powerful words. Our souls were made for God, and we are restless until we find rest in Him. And so the shepherd preserves the soul. He's the overseer of the soul. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians said the gift of peace, or God, the God of peace himself sanctifies you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so our sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit within us as we do our part in surrendering and concentrating, consecrating ourselves over and over to him. We're giving him control. We're moving out of the driver's seat and saying, Lord, here's my life. You control me. And we, we thus yield ourselves to him in all things. And we're kept by the power and the seal of the Holy Spirit. Christ is our guardian. He's our, our protector. The one that watches over us. You lay your head in your pillow at night. And you can have sweet peace because you know that you're in God's will. And he's watching over you. I like the verse that says, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And there's a song to that verse, and that was my dear grandma, one of her favorite songs. So we have something to rejoice about this morning, folks. As we walk this journey with the Lord, yes, we have those low places, but you know, we can fall. You should always be getting up. Don't stay down there. Get up and give praise to God. We've seen this morning a bit of what it means that the cross is the centrality of life. It's the cross of Christ. It's his standard. It's his salvation. His satisfaction for mankind. Aren't you thankful today for the depths of your heart that Jesus went to the cross? Hallelujah. Where would we be? We haven't done that. Outside of the cross, we have no message. 
of for the lost humanity because the cross is the message of deliverance and salvation, assurance to all that call upon his name. So we come in repentance by the act of faith. We make Jesus Christ the cross that, that central relationship for ourselves and, and all that we need. I was glad last evening for the opportunity the Lord gave me in meeting my classmates and they would come to me and say they were so sorry to hear my twin brothers passing. And then I could share with them that it was a wonderful time as, as he met his Lord. And I just pray that somehow there was a witness there of what it means to live a life for Christ. You've heard me say, and Ron said it so many times, it's a win-win. It'll be a win if I'm healed, and if I'm not, it's a win. Because <laughs> he knew where he was going. Yes, praise the Lord, we can enjoy that healing stream that flows from Calvary. Whether it's healing in this life or the ultimate healing, it's all in God's hands. I just praise the Lord today that Jesus is our Savior because of the cross. Never be ashamed of the cross. He sang that song this morning. Oh, God.